You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So today, um, we are taking a break from the book of Mark. If you've been with us, you know that we've been working systematically through the book of Mark, um, kind of verse by verse, and we are in chapter 7. It's taken about six months to get there, and so we've had a great time just digging in and looking and expounding upon what God has in it. And the reason why we're taking a break uh, just today is due to the time of year where our church calendar lies. So if you're aware or not, today marks the first day of Holy Week, or some would call it Passion Week. Um, And it starts with Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and during that week, um, all kinds of really significant, important things happen, right? There's um, the Last Supper, there's communion uh, installed to the church, there's Jesus being betrayed by Judas, him getting arrested, him being put on trial, him being mocked and beaten, and obviously going to the cross and then rising again. And so there's a lot that goes on during this week. And so over um, many centuries, the, the church has kind of instilled or taken the time to really um, stop and to, and to mark this period of the year or the church calendar as a very significant, important one. It's the same way why we would celebrate Advent for uh, up till Christmas. Holy Week or Passion Week is the week that's, that's preceding um, the death and resurrection of Christ. And celebrating like Holy Week, you don't have to do it. It's not an obligation, but rather it's an opportunity in the same way Advent would be. You don't have to necessarily celebrate Advent, and it's not like in Scripture it says Advent season is something that you must celebrate, but it's an opportunity. And, and many of us haven't or, or, th- or, we, or we don't think too much about Easter until it's Easter, And so uh, to just observe it, to stop, to even today talk about Palm Sunday, which we will, is an opportunity to just pause and to remember and to remind ourselves a bit more of what Jesus did. And it's because, as you all know, because you have them and I have them also, we have increasingly fast-paced, hectic lives. And it's getting busier and busier with technology and the ability to multitask and do many things. And the idea of stopping and resting and meditating and pausing, specifically when it comes to scripture and prayer and the Lord and these maybe intangible things, it's really difficult for us and we struggle with it. And so this this annual Holy Week that comes each spring is like a, a reminder for us to pause. It's a reminder for us to to stop, to pause, to ponder, and to just carefully mark each day and not let like one of the greatest weeks of all time just fly by. Because it really easily could, right? You're like, what am I going to wear on Easter? And should I be the Otter Pop guy? (laughs) Like that's that's what, you, you know what I mean? If you don't take time... You might just, that just might fill your mind. Or the kids, are we going to do Easter egg hunt? When are we going to do it? Is there going to be one? Um, you just, and then you all have work and families and you, you get the picture. Like between now and next Sunday can come really quick if we don't take the time and this opportunity to pause. And it's a chance to like walk through with the church throughout the world 
on remembering some of the like most significant eight days in history, this Sunday to next Sunday. It's a chance to partner with the church throughout the world and throughout time to do this. And it's an opportunity to focus our minds and, and, and our hearts and our affections on what is absolutely most important. And if you know anything about your faith, if you're a Christian here today, if you know anything about it, the death and specifically the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, would say, if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is made void. It is worthless because Sin has still mastery over us if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and defeat sin, death, and the devil. We are still in our sins, making there be no hope without the resurrection and the death of our Lord. And so it is very important, and I believe um, a great opportunity that we as a church make the most of it, so to speak. And so today is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that's always preceding Easter Sunday. It's called, you know, Palm Sunday, as we'll see here, traditionally because of the palm fronds that were laid out before Jesus, before him riding on his donkey as he entered into Jerusalem. It was the people laying their coats and the palm fronds before him as a sign that the king had come. They laid these out. And so today, this is called Palm Sunday because it's, it's talking about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we'll see. And so Palm Sunday celebrates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and it's the start of this week leading up to Good Friday and Easter. It's significant, it signifies the start of this like incredibly important week. And so, um, sorry about that. <clears throat> uh, every gospel tells of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, speaks of Jesus's triumphal entry. You know, it's not always the case that every gospel speaks of a certain event or a certain miracle that happens with Jesus, but, but this does. And usually it's because it signifies importance, and every writer is including it here. And so uh, Matthew, we can see it in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19 or John 12, these all are sections that describe and, and narrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And today we're going to expound on Matthew's narrative. Matthew's narrative is where we're going to go to today, even though we're in Mark. We'll save that for Mark 11, which will come in many months from now. Um, but we're going to look at Matthew's narrative, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And not to throw you off, because if you've been here, I, I, I usually teach out of the New Living Translation, but I really liked how it was said in the NASB, New American Standard. So today I'm teaching out of the New American Standard, so sorry if that throws you off. If you grab the Bible, it's going to be a different translation. Um, they're both good translations, but uh, we're going to read out of the NASB. I have it on the screen. So do not be afraid. To, uh, you will um, be able to follow. So here we go. Let's read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. This is Matthew's account of Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry. It says this. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of a burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the coat, the colt, excuse me, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So what's happening here is that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and he knew what was going to come, right? He's God, he's all-knowing, he's, he's all-powerful. He, he knows what's going to happen. And even in the preceding chapter, Matthew 20, he knew that the religious leaders in Jerusalem were going to arrest him. He knew what was to come. He knew as he was going to be condemned and mocked and scourged. And then the religious leaders were going to deliver him over to the Romans, ultimately to be crucified. He knew this. He knew what was going to happen, but he went anyway. And this time he entered in in as a public way as possible. See, this contrasts a lot of what Jesus always has done thus far in the Gospels. If you've been with us, many times something miraculous has happened and he tells the person, don't tell anyone that this happened or don't tell anyone who I am. But now the time has come to be announced the king, the Messiah, the one whom he said he was. Now the time had come that we, he was to be ushered in as the Messiah that many at that time had thought he was. Many had not, but many did. And so he enters into Jerusalem on this donkey in a very public way, knowing what lied before him, but with every intention to obey God's will and to go to the cross for the sake of humanity. For those of you that have been to Israel What's neat about this, specifically if you've been to Jerusalem, most of the route and the, the area that Jesus would have came from is fully intact or, or near what it was 2,000 years ago, right? It's an old enough city. The wall and the boundary line and kind of how it's laid out has changed from the, the numerous centuries of fighting and taking of the city. But nonetheless, if you go to Jerusalem today and you stand up on the Mount of Olives and you're looking over the old city of Jerusalem, um, this is where Jesus entered in. Right, the Mount of Olives is where the Garden of Gethsemane was. There's this little valley. It's called the Kidron Valley. It's just a little sloped hill. And then the old city of Jerusalem is right in front of you. And now you can see, you know, where the Temple Mount was. It's now the Dome of the Rocks on there. Um, but you can stand up on there and see where it is. I have a picture if you haven't been to Israel. So... This is where Jesus would have came from. This is where, like, the photo would have been taken. Right now, there, this is all a Jewish grave site at the time. But if you see that gold dome, that's the Dome of the Rock. That's where the temple used to stand. Um, 
And so that big wall is the old city of Jerusalem. And there, there, there is a gate there. It's now sealed up. But Jesus would have come from here on the Mount of Olives. This is the Kidron Valley. You can't really tell, but that kind of darker green is a valley. And it goes back up to the old city. And so this is the scene. This is the context. Jesus would have seen this as, as the scene played out. And when he's going into the city of Jerusalem, this is where the coats would have been laid and the palm fronds would have been laid and he would have entered into Jerusalem and this is where the scene is. So if you do ever have a chance to go, you can be reminded of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem by standing here. What's interesting though is that John's gospel, right, John's account, it talks about the large crowds that were coming into Jerusalem at that time. See, it was the time of Passover. Passover being one of the uh, biggest and most important religious feasts and, and um, celebrations for a practicing Jew. And so what would happen is if you didn't live in Jerusalem, you would journey there. You would... You would go there at times of celebration. And so every practicing Jew at the time of Passover would be coming into the city of Jerusalem from all over Israel and from even farther. And so the, the crowds, when it talks of crowds, I mean, there was thousands and thousands of people at this time when Jesus entered. It was one of the greatest holidays for Judaism, and many came. Um, and what they did was you had to come with a pure spotless lamb, right? Jewish law required that the Passover lamb that you brought was in your family for at least three days so that you could see it was perfect and spotless before you brought it to be sacrificed in order to, you know, cover your sin. And so this was referring to back in Exodus 12 when the plagues were going on, when uh, God's people had to take a lamb and, and use its blood to cover the doorposts so that the Lord would pass over their homes. And so Passover is remembering how God spared his people by the sacrifice of a lamb. And so uh, this is a Jewish festival, Jewish holiday, remembering Exodus. And so every practicing Jew would be coming. Josephus, one of the, one of the historians of the day, said that in the time of Passover, that there would be upwards of a quarter million lambs that were brought into Jerusalem. I mean, I mean there was hundreds of thousands of people and, and lambs coming in to celebrate the Passover. And what's so interesting is that Jesus would be the Passover lamb for all of humanity. He was pure and spotless and without sin. And he came as well as all these lambs coming in signifying the Passover. He was the Passover lamb that on Friday would come and he would die for all our sins once and for all. And it would be finished, it says in the gospels, right? And so the Passover lamb coming with the Passover lambs in the crowds of people are coming into Jerusalem. It's an incredible scene that's going on. But there's even more significance in this text this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday. I just want to point out a few things. One is that Jesus chose to ride in on a donkey. Talks a lot about a donkey here. There's significance to it. It's actually really, really important. For us, it's like, 
Kind of weird. I don't know. Why didn't you choose a horse? Why didn't you, I don't know, a wagon? Why didn't you have people carry you? I mean, if you are the king of the universe, if you are the son of God, and you finally want to be ushered in as king into Jerusalem, why a donkey? Well, first and foremost, the fact that Jesus rode in on a donkey is to fulfill Old Testament prophecy out of Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, or in other words, Israel. Rejoice greatly, O Israel. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, uh, the fowl of a donkey. This prophecy was 500 years previous. So 500 years passed from the time Zechariah wrote that until this happened. 500 years passed until all the four gospels tells us that Jesus specifically rode in on a colt and he sat on it. Most believing Jews would have known this, would have seen this. They knew that the Messiah would come in this way. And so it's very significant that Jesus did not come in any other way. He literally fulfilled a 500-year-old prophecy to the T in front of their eyes. In biblical times, it wasn't uncommon for kings and important people to arrive on a donkey. It wasn't, even though it seems strange to us. It wasn't. It's actually pretty customary for royalty to do so. But it had changed since the Romans had come into view and their big, you know, victorious generals and the Caesars and everything that had happened had changed that. But it wasn't too out of the ordinary. But in light of all that was happening, Jesus came to Jerusalem in humility. See, the donkey symbolized peace. And so those that rode on them showed that they had peaceful intentions. See, a, war, a horse at that time was referred to as a, a war tool or a war horse. And so if you came into a city or you were ushered in on a horse at that time, it would mean that you had war, war intentions to take over, to oppress, to take. But if you came on a donkey, it signified that you had come with peaceful intentions. So instead of coming on a horse as a conquering general, Jesus came to Jerusalem, a suffering servant on a lowly donkey. And this further signifies who we know Jesus to be as the prince of peace. The one that wanted to bring restoration and redemption to all of humanity. See, many at that time thought Jesus was going to come in a very different manner. Right? They thought he was going to come on a horse and, and overthrow Rome. And he was going to be the king of the world and the king of Israel. And everything that the Romans were doing was going to be done in a moment. They had a really narrow view of who Jesus was supposed to be when he came to, re to, 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 to save, to be the Messiah. Jesus had a larger intent. He wanted to save all of humanity and reconcile his father in heaven with the brokenness of 
the people that were on earth. He had a larger view in mind, and so he came fulfilling prophecy on a donkey, signifying peace. Also, just the fact that he came through the Mount of Olives is significant. In Zechariah 9.9, in Zechariah chapter 14, it also said that the way in which the Messiah would come would be from the Mount of Olives. And so you have to understand, like, it's not just a story in a place. If you are a practicing Jew 2,000 years ago on the Mount of Olives and you see Jesus on the donkey fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, you are tripping out. Right? It's something you had grown up as a kid learning about your fathers and grandfathers before you had been testifying that one day the Messiah would come. One day the hope of all the world would come. And now he's on the scene. And what do they do? They lay clothes and palm fronds before him. Significance of that. It's like rolling out the red carpet. Right, the red, it's like, it's like having a red carpet and rolling out and saying, yes, you are in a place of honor and privilege and you need to come on this right now. See, all this was done. The fact of, you know, laying jackets, laying clothes, laying palm fronds was all done to honor Jesus as a great triumphant person coming into Jerusalem at the season of Passover. And in the Old Testament, this isn't the only time that we see in scripture that the act of spreading out garments is one of like recognition and loyalty and promise of support. And so every detail of this story and of this scene is significant, right? And so prophecy is fulfilled. 500 years of prophecy is fulfilled. Many in that crowd, if not majority of the crowd on the Mount of Olives were believing that this is the Messiah. They take off their jackets, they grab palm fronds, they make a red carpet, so to speak. And what they do is they start singing. They start chanting for their Messiah had come, right? The crowd started singing and they started saying, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Literally, when the people shouted Hosanna, they were hailing Christ as king. I mean, this was like an open messianic adoration of Jesus. It's just isn't any phrase. It's not like some like, yes, or like, do it. It's not some uh, stereotypical phrase. This phrase was reserved only for Israel's savior. And even by definition, Hosanna literally means save now. It's crying out, like, save us now. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You're supposed to do this. We rejoice because we believe it's you. Save now. They were openly shouting and declaring that he was king. And they didn't just pull this out of their back pockets as something that they think they should say. It goes back to Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a psalm about the Lord's triumph. It's about the Messiah coming and saving and redeeming. And this phrase is found in the Hebrew scriptures back in Psalm 119, 118 verse 26. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
They they were waiting for it. They were anticipating for it. And now Jesus came on the scene. And even though many thought it would be done in a different way, Right in a different in different purpose with a, with a different horse with a different animal in a different manner. Nonetheless, this was the savior of the world. This was Hosanna. This was the, the one that would save. Now, this is the Son of God riding on this donkey. But he didn't come as a victorious general into battle to set everything right. He came as a suffering servant to die a sinner's death. He came lowly on a donkey with peaceful intentions to, as a suffering servant in all humility and to die in a sinner's place. But in doing that, right, he gained victory and triumph over the forces of evil and the power of sin. This is incredible, significant start of Passion Week and it's all by ushering in the king. Our king, the one that we believe is who he said he was, was all coming to pass. News had spread about him. He had, he had raised the dead, forgiven sin, and, and now it was the public acknowledgement that he was the Messiah. So reading this, we should ask, well, what, that's good. What does that do for us? Like, what, what does it mean? How should we, what should we take from this? And what it should do is it should cause us to celebrate. It should well up celebration in us. And the reason why is because we know how the week goes. Nobody in that crowd did. F- prophecy was fulfilled. Things were good. They were declaring. But then the week kind of turned. Like real quick, wait, if you're the Messiah, why aren't you just like setting every wrong right now? Wait, the Messiah is arrested and betrayed and mocked and put to death. I mean, this is not supposed to be happening, right? For the crowds and the disciples and even Jesus' family, they were were real surprised by Friday, right? They They were in awe, they were taken aback. And depending on who you thought Jesus was, right? If you were a Pharisee or a Pharisee or a Roman, if you wanted Jesus to be crucified, well, you were rejoicing, right? You were, you got what you wanted. But by the end of the week, the people that were closest to Jesus were devastated that he died on the cross. I mean, absolutely devastated. His disciples scattered. They denied him. They doubted. And it was as if all that they had thought was supposed to happen just ended. They didn't see the whole picture. They were in it. We see the whole story. Like, we're sitting in this room knowing the whole story. And as bad as the week gets, we know the last chapter of the final page. Or the final page. Right? We, we know Easter. <laughs> we know Easter is coming. But the crowds didn't. The disciples didn't. Jesus' family didn't. Even though Jesus told them it would happen, he said that he would rise again. They did not believe. And so by the end of the week... They had denied, they had doubted, they had scattered, but we know how it goes. 
And so it gives us the opportunity to not be surprised, but to really soak in all that it is. Like the good, the bad, the hard, the, the, the gruesome, the glorious, the wonderful. I mean, to take heart, to remember, to ponder. Like for us to mourn, for us to reflect, for us to rejoice. Like it's an opportunity we have this week, knowing the whole story, to go in and do these things. The easiest way to do this, and maybe the hardest, is to actually continue reading the book of Matthew this week. Because you just find where the triumphal entry is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find it. And you just read to the end of that book this week. It's between five and eight chapters, depending on the gospel. This is not big. This is not a big ask. But this is what it'll allow you to do. It'll allow you to walk and to get a bird's eye view and an eyewitness account into what our Lord, Lord went through. And as you do that this week, I'm saying as you do it, like, because you need to do it. Do it. Homework. Like, it's not hard. There's much harder things in the world. This is not hard. I want to encourage and, and spur you on and make you, if I could, spend a few minutes each morning or on your lunch break or before you go to bed. That's probably not a good idea. You're going to fall asleep. Spend a few minutes when you have time reading what happened from Palm Sunday until the resurrection. Again, it's easy. Just read on from Matthew to the end. Read on from Mark 12 to Mark 16. Like re read the, the, the very end of one of the Gospels and take heart what happened. And allow this reminder, and I'm praying that it does, and I, and I, I think if you actually do it, it will. But I want you guys to allow this reminder to do a few things. Number one, is to bring you joy. For those of you that have been a Christian, sometimes Easter and this season can be very repetitive. Or when, when a pastor at a church talks about the gospel, you, you immediately in some ways tune out because you know it. You've been told it so many times. But my prayer is that when we read it again, when we take heart and remember what Christ did, that it'll bring us back to the joy of when we first believed. When we had never heard the truth of who Jesus was. For those of you guys that are Christians, you have a testimony. That testimony involves hearing the gospel. It's about hearing about Jesus for the first time. Or maybe for the first time it clicked. I know for me that when I first gave my life to the Lord in that period after, I was like so full of joy. Not that I'm not now. But... There's this, there's this idea when you first believe, there's this joy that wells up over you because you literally have found the greatest thing that could ever be found. And so many of us that have grown up in the church or been Christians for a long time, we just, we get, we get comfortable with the gospel and numb to that and we're, we fail to remember what this is. Like, and so maybe it, as you're reading this week, maybe it takes time thinking the life that, that Jesus saved you out of 
or the pain that you felt that's now filled with joy. Maybe it's gonna take remembering your own testimony this week. But my prayer is that as you do this, as you, as you recall and remember the cross and resurrection of our Lord, that it would bring you back to the joy of when you first believed. I know that's my prayer for myself. Number two is that it should make us thankful. Like thankfulness should well up because God saved us and we couldn't do it. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. It's the work that Jesus did that gives us life and that abundantly. I mean, I could go on and on and on why we should be a thankful people and why even this week, my prayer is that we would be a, get to a fresh place of thankfulness. Because thankfulness also is something that we can feel uh, we can lose because we become entitled or comfortable with what we have, right? We're so thankful that God saved us. We're so thankful. And then over time, we just forget. We fail to thank him, right? Often our prayers, as time goes on, as Christians, we just start asking God things and we just don't even thank him. Right? Usually it's like, God, give me this and give me that, and I want you to do that. And we fail to even start with like a heart of gratitude. My prayer is that this week, as we look at Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and what that means for us, that we would have a fresh sense of thankfulness. And because of that joy and because of that thankfulness, it should move us to a place of worship. Right? It, should just, it should move us to a place of like adoration to Jesus. And just like the crowds shouted, Hosanna. It was, a, it was a sign of adoration that they did this. That we would be a people that are like over, over, overflowing with worship to our God. Right? That as we go through our jobs and do our emails or make your phone calls or raise your kids or whatever your week it, it looks like this week that you would just, in the midst of all that, be able to worship God as you're doing those things, with your life and with your actions is, and with your voices and with your hearts, that we would be a people that, that, that worship the Lord. And you know, next Sunday, as we gather again, if you're with us, it's gonna be mainly addressed to non-believers, like I said in announcements. Those that, those that don't know the Lord, those that have never heard about it. And the purpose is to testify of this good news, right? It's to testify. The reason that most of us are in this place is because we've heard the good news and we're sitting here because we've been transformed and Jesus is so good. We just want more of him. But right, there's so many people that do not know that. And that's the reason why we would invite someone to an Easter service is so that they could hear and partake of what we have tasted and seen that is good. And so I want to prep you for next Sunday. I, if you are a Christian, I most likely won't be speaking to you. I will be just reminding you of the thing that has transformed your life and given you eternal life. And so there is cause to be joy, right? And so Easter Sunday, there is much cause to worship because we're reminded of that truth. And so I want to invite you into something next Sunday. Because you're going to be bringing people and new people are going to be here and there's people in this room that have never heard, would you pray during the message? Like pray that God uses his word and his truth to like speak to people, save people, redeem people. Like join with me in that. 
Like this week during the sermon, hey, I'll use prayer. Absolutely. That we would pray that God would save, that he would be Hosanna, save now, that he would save people this Easter, that they would come to know this great God that, was en- that entered into Jerusalem as the Messiah, as God's son, as the savior of the world. And so the last thing I'll say is allow the joy, thankfulness, and worship that I pray that you experience as you do read the Gospels this week. I want those things to motivate you to invite people, to drive you to tell others, to push you to pray. And not getting people in this room isn't the end all, right? I mean, it's a good opportunity. And yes, invite your family and friends. But we need to pray that God would move. And then also we as believers in these people's lives, that we would be filled with this joy and thankfulness and lifestyle of worship so that it isn't just about next Sunday. Next Sunday's big. But it's a lifestyle that we would be a people that are, that are standing in a culture that does not Uh, Most of it does not believe what we believe, that we would be light and salt and lamps, and we would, by our life, uh, testify that Jesus is king. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and let's, uh, man, let's enjoy Jesus this week. Lord God, we thank you for this incredible story and narrative we have of of you, Jesus, entering into Jerusalem, the hailed king. God, we thank you for this, just the the significance of, of prophecy fulfilled and what that meant in the life of Israel and the significance of you being the Passover lamb in the midst of all the other lambs. And God, there's so much here. But at the end of the day, we want to worship you now for everything that you are and what you've done for us. God, we worship you for who you are and what you've done, that you've, you, you died for us while we were yet sinners. That God, you sent your only son into the world to save the world that we might have life in that abundantly. that you chose to give up what was most precious to you so that you could be reconciled to us. God, we thank you for this, and we ask, Lord, that this week, that it would be different for us, that we would make time, that we would spend time, and that, Holy Spirit, as we read your word, that you would, you would bring the fullness of joy and a, and, a gr- and a grateful heart that would flow into worship in our lives. God, we don't just want to do the same thing this week. We don't just want to run our busy lives and get our to-do list done and pay the bills and get dinner and go to bed and do it again. We want to, we want to stop and ponder and reflect and meditate upon the cross and upon the resurrection. And so would you start that in our hearts right now as we worship? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.